John Deere to New Holland Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's town Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, we celebrate ingenuity with Iowa farmer Tony Wendler, the founder of Farm Shop Manufacturing, who has some innovative new closing wheels and bin monitors, and Julia Ingler of Helier Agriculture, who will tell us how a balanced soil microbiome improves plant vigor and marketable yields under stress conditions. Terry Burkhart with Allstate's Ag Parts talks taxes. The Hot Rod Farmer Ray Bohax brings us another installment of Bushels and Cents. And we spend some time with country music legend Margie Singleton, who at 85 years old has just put out a new EP with some great traditional country music. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, they say necessity is the mother of invention and Tony Wendler is living proof. The Iowa farmer began making specialty closing wheels, first for himself and then for neighbors, and today has a booming business. He followed that up with grain bin monitors that have become highly sought after, and now he's exploring other products for his company, Farm Shop Manufacturing. Tony, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, good afternoon. I'm appreciate the opportunity to be on here with you. Well, I, I tell you, I, I'm really fascinated by the work that you do here. Anytime anybody can can take something from a concept and, uh, it, you know, l- look for a way to solve a problem for himself, and then it becomes something that uh, benefits many people, I, I'm all about that. So I was really fascinated here when I saw kind of the growth of the company here. Let's start out with talking about uh, some closing wheels that uh, you uh, developed and and tell me how all that came together and how that has uh, expanded over the years. Well, like there's been a lot of research looking at closing wheels and the advantage of having something with a little more performance than the standard rubber wheel. I had uh, looked at some of the uh, research done over at uh, Beck's Practical Research and along with the other inputs, wanted to do something on my own. And uh, being a small farmer, wanted to contain some cost. Now, as an added convenience, uh, my son has a uh, business making uh, grain legs, structural towers. And uh, with that, on the north side of my farmyard, where his shop is, it turns out we've got a laser along with uh, some other things. So we went over there and I started working with him, and we made some different designs, uh, looking at some of the research uh, performed out at uh, Beck's, and uh, went out and kind of played around with the designs, adding something that uh, has turned out to be a, a real positive. Uh, when I first got into this, I put a band of steel on the outside and on the inside, looking at it as two things. One is a depth band, so it wouldn't overpenetrate. And two, as a, uh, an extra firming, so when the spikes break off the uh, sidewall on the furrow, the uh, extra band of steel will firm the uh, soil back to the seed, collapse all the air out, and maximize the seed-to-soil contact. Well, the, if you had looked at our earlier designs, uh, it would have looked like a couple of other competitors. And uh, we messed with it for a couple of years and 
if we'd go through uh, ground conditions that uh, the ground was a little more sticky or even low areas with mud, these things would pick up mud and they just didn't clean very good. And I'd research that further. In fact, talk with uh, some of the guys over there at the research. And they said, yep, that's the same problem that that company was having. <laughs> okay. Wish I, you had told me that two years ago. Huh. Uh, moved on to a design that uh, looks like a few of the other products out there with the, the poly wheels. I scrapped the outside uh, rib of steel and just kept the interior one. My outlook on the outside, if there was some unusual contour in the soil, I wanted that wheel to cut into whatever depth it needed to do. And uh, the the rib of steel over the uh, seed furrow, I wanted it to act as the firming as well as a depth gauge. So it wouldn't allow it to overpenetrate. One of the comments that we get, and in fact, I'm uh, forwarding some stuff out to some uh, different implement dealerships right now, and I've got a... Uh, a quote from uh, a farmer over in Illinois, and uh, his comment is that depth band is the best thing he's ever seen on a wheel and wished he'd have had it years ago. Uh, at that time, he'd only had it on 600 acres, but he said he'd gone through uh, no-till, some conventional till, and heavier soils, and would progress into sandy soils, and he said in no conditions did it over-penetrate hmm. or throw any seed out. And that was the first time he'd experienced that with a uh, closing wheel that it just didn't throw seed out. That's one of the things that we don't hear any issues of. And I want to say that with that uh, extra band, the firming, the, the inner shoulder, we're firming and acting as a depth band. We don't over-penetrate and kick seed out. So it, uh, and I, I look at that uh, inner shoulder as, the number one reason why you would want these wheels. When you break off that sidewall, you need something to get that soil firmed back around the seed. And with that, we will just entomb each seed in soil. It's really awesome the job they do. So as the development and production of closing wheels is progressing, then you see a need for monitoring older grain bins and a new idea was born. Yes. Uh, I've, uh, I've wanted... I've been in, interested in monitoring bins and started out oh, eight, nine years ago with looking into a cost-effective way to, back then it would have been temperature. So I was looking at some uh, lower cost solutions and, and to work with some different uh, components to do it. And as time came along, I started getting more interested in, in reading a little bit about looking at the equilibrium humidity within the grain column and how that reflects the moisture in the grain. Now, I've always natural air dried my corn, so it became a, a nice factor for looking at what was taking place as I was uh, drying the grain. With that, I could follow through and accurately dry my grain from bottom to top and get it within a quarter, half percent of my target. So when I was targeting uh, to have my corn at 15% uh, moisture, uh, and wanting to be just a little bit on the light side, I could sell out a bin and have it come out 14 and a half to 15. From the very bottom to the top. Now, a little bit of that, you'll have a lot of people over-dry the bottom because they're, this year would be a really bad year for it. When you've got uh, overly dry outside air and you turn those fans on, 
it's going to strip the moisture off the first grain it comes to. So I would be watching that, and I have uh, had apps on my phone that I'd kind of look at what the uh, outside humidity is. and Is it dry enough to dry my grain, and is it not too dry so it overdries the grain? And I've paid attention to that for years. The, uh, the next transition from monitoring what was going on inside was to automating what I was just referring to and getting a fan control that could uh, do that on its own. Turn the fans on when the um, temperature and humidity were in a range that would do what I would like to do on drying the corn. Turn it off when the moisture got too high and we're just wasting electricity. And uh, additionally, on the other end, turn it off if the air got too dry. It would overdry the grain in the bottom of the bin. So it would only operate in the band that was going to perform where it had the most cost-effective production. So we moved on to automating the system, and that worked exceptional. The, I'll give a couple examples. Now, a year ago, um, and if you go back a couple of years, and I've got some extra storage uh, so I could get by, but I had one bin of corn that uh, didn't get it sold. Prices weren't good uh, back earlier, and I just left it. Now, because I was going to store it for a year or more, I dried that down to 13 and a half. Three years later, I sold it last fall, a year ago this past fall, uh, when the prices were firm. And that bin of corn graded number one and was uh, plus or minus 13 and a half percent. And that was my goal from bottom to top. Every load came out within a quarter of a percent of 13 and a half. The, uh, I had another bin sitting right beside it that had the previous fall's corn in it. My objective on it was 15%, and that came out between 14 and a half and 15. I wanted to stay just a little shy of 15, and that's where it came out. So it was, you can achieve it. I think those are pretty accurate, you know, considering, uh, you know, what can take place in a bin and the variations you might have. Now, in 2018, I got uh, kind of put into a situation where I was, uh, I did a little bit of other research and learned how these things can make money. All this other is kind of defensive and making, making work easier. But in 2018, I learned how to make money at this stuff. I had a, um, back then I didn't have my own combine, so I was subject to having somebody come in and custom harvest and got in a situation where uh, the uh, custom harvester shows up in the middle of the afternoon and harvests till uh, evening dusk and uh, was going to quit for the day. And I said, okay, what time are we start in the morning? He said, well, I'm going to take the combine home. It turned out he wasn't done with his own beans. It just got the shatter loss got so bad he showed up at my place. Came back the middle of the next afternoon took out my beans at eight and a half to nine percent huge loss in moisture so i put my uh, moisture sensors in the uh, column and was kind of looking at what the equilibrium moisture was and started playing around first a little bit manually and, and then went to automation rehydrating the beans here's the quick math this is you know, if, if you talk to somebody and say right now on $10 beans that uh, 1% moisture is worth 15 cents a bushel, you'll hear crickets. Nobody gets very excited about it. 
Now, if you put it this way, if you've got 20,000 bushel of beans out there at 10% moisture, we rehydrate those back to 13. When you go to empty that bin, you will have an extra semi-load of beans to sell. 54,000 pounds of more grain to haul to town. Now you start catching attention. You know, in today's market, uh, what is that, uh, ten, eleven thousand dollars $11,000? Yeah. That's math that adds up real quick. So the beans are where the money's made. There's, there's two ways that uh, I've really kind of gotten excited about. Now, this year I really went towards harvesting on the wet side and then uh, drying. My goal was to harvest between 12 and uh, 15. Uh, my wettest uh, sample came out at 14.7. My driest sample came out at uh, 11.7. Hmm. The, uh, with the exception, and I'll qualify that, uh, the replants, I got distracted with other things and didn't go back and grab the replants quick enough. By the time I went and got those, we had a dry week. Those things were down to 9%. So the, the last 10 or 15 acres, whatever that was, got dumped on the top at 9%. Uh, but aside from that, so I'm dealing with wetter, corn, wetter beans and very limited shatter loss. That's the positive to that. The beans go into the, uh, the combine and into the hopper rather than uh, pinging off of the windscreen and bouncing around on the ground. So it's, uh, that's my objective for uh, future harvesting is to try to stay on the wet side use the system to dry it back down to uh, 13 and uh, collect all the beans and, and uh, maintain the proper hydration. So as far as product development goes, what's next on the horizon for you? The next things I'm looking at, I'm, I'm uh, toying with a couple of things. One is that uh, current, I, I call them analog. Currently, these are all red at the, at the bin. Uh, we don't have any capabilities of uh, Wi-Fi into uh, a system on the farm or the phone. So uh, that's one of the things that I'm looking into is, is uh, trying to learn a little bit. I've got a, uh, I got a, a uh, product that I actually picked up oh, early last summer, but I've been so busy, still sitting on the shelf. And I keep thinking this winter I need to start playing around with that system and see how I can integrate Wi-Fi into it. I've got a few thoughts, uh, and I'm hoping to uh, maybe this summer have uh, a Wi-Fi option that can uh, tell us when the uh, fans are, are activated or inactivated and, and uh, give people a little bit of insight to that. The other thing that is kind of of uh, interest, although I, to me it depends on how motivated the people are, uh, you might need a larger system to be able to do it. There are uh, radar-type scanners that can scan volume. Now, I first was kind of interested in this in that I've got a uh, uh, couple thousand bushel overhead tank that uh, can't tell very easily how much uh, grain's in it. This is for load out trucks. So when I'm transferring, uh, the uh, there's a, an eye close to the top, but you're never quite sure is it half full and if you're not right there watching when that thing gets to the flip that little eye so you know where it is, 
you'll miss it. Uh, this system can go into any grain bin, including uh, a wet holding bin, uh, this loadout bin, or if you've got complex, you know, some livestock farms, these systems will be put into a, uh, a livestock pit. Uh, anything you're wanting to measure depth or volume, and there's different things so that uh, one component of the system could go into a bin with irregular, uh, you might have a, uh, a pile on one day and have a cone the next day. They can scan and read the difference and interpret what the volume is based on uh, how the uh, reports are coming back through the radar system. Uh, the uh, lower cost is you do a straight uh, line that it's just, uh, you measure one point and you measure that it's X distance from where the sensor is. You've got calculations built in that, uh, assuming that it's always got a pile, uh, it will let you know how much volume you've got left. That system would also work like in a livestock pit uh, perhaps you've got, I don't know, anybody, fertilizers. You could stick one of these uh, pointing in the top of a fertilizer tank. Uh, how much is in the tank? Anything that you can uh, look at a surface to measure volume. Now, the cost of this comes in that uh, you've got to have, everything's got to have an antenna to uh, report back to a central site. You'd have to have a, uh, a central module that can record this. Now, once it's done that, it can put it on uh, Wi-Fi, on the Internet. You can pick it up anywhere. Hmm. So you could be out in your combine, uh, log your cell phone into it, and uh, find out how much uh, room you had in your uh, wet holding tank. The, uh, you know, you've, uh, you farm, you've got a lot of uh, different things in your plates. Uh, what are the employees doing out there in the hog barn? Are they keeping their pits in line? Uh, do I need, uh, you know, we've been hauling a lot of liquid fertilizer out. How much uh, fertilizer is left in the tank? Anything you want to measure. Now, that's, that's one. It's the uh, When you start talking the base station, when I initially was looking into it, it looked like the base station would be about $1,500. I've not found anybody too excited about that. You know, I've, everybody kind of, goes and looks for the, uh, well, you know, I, I do it this way, and I know I'm hauling in so many loads, and I can just kind of time it out. And, uh, but that could be a curiously interesting and useful tool for people, larger, spread out, whatever it might be. Well, I tell you what, if people are curious about any of this and want to investigate for themselves, where can they go to check out these products? Farmshopmfg.com. The, uh, you can go to the website. Uh, you can feel free to give me a call on my cell phone, 712-219-0148. So make sure you go check them out, farmshopmfg.com. And Tony Wendler, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, Brent, I enjoyed the conversation and uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future. Again, we've been talking with Tony Wendler of Farm Shop Manufacturing in Armstrong, Iowa. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, 
visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we've got a really interesting company with an interesting mission here and is a proud Arizona State Sun Devil. This one has a special place in my heart because it's a project that started with Arizona State University. Helia Agriculture is on the path of understanding how a balanced soil microbiome improves plant vigor and marketable yields under stressed conditions. And today I wanted to bring in Julia Engler, who serves as regional manager for Helia Agriculture and brings to the position more than 20 years experience in production agriculture. Julia, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this is an interesting project that you guys have going on here. You've isolated microalgae, pasteurized it, and then supercharged those microbes in the soil to improve soil health. Absolutely. It's it's really fascinating. It's a very unique product in the market. Um, the nice thing, it's it's something that's naturally in the soil, but we've been able to basically supercharge it, make it available to the, the natural bacteria and fungi that actually help the plant bring in nutrients, uh, help that plant to, uh, to grow and become a little more resilient. It actually also helps with soil structure because of the, the way the microbes are working in the soil as well. From a university standpoint, when did this project uh, first take off? Probably about 12 years ago. So in that time, you guys have conducted, I'm sure, a lot of uh, field testing. You, you've probably uh, gotten reams of data on this. How have you seen uh, the development of this progress uh, over the past decade or so? Uh, so the development has progressed in a number of ways. Um, most of our uh, data comes actually from third-party um, sources that basically we uh, contract out with third-party individuals to conduct the research for us, uh, the field trials at, at least. Uh, we do the research in-house in obviously, but the field trials, trials. So we have quite a few, quite a number of pieces of data as far as yield goes and quality. Uh, that's another thing that we've seen improve with using the product. But uh, in a number of crops, we've taken it across about every crop that there is out there. Uh, not only row crops, but uh, your fruits, your vegetables, uh, your, your trees, your, your permanent crops, such as cherries, uh, almonds, such uh, products like that. So um, it's developed, it's, uh, we've improved the process of bringing that, uh, developing that, uh, growing that and bringing it to market. Uh, we've got close to 150 patents on the process and how we we do this. So it's been quite a bit of research, quite a number of years getting it perfected, but uh, we have a saleable product to market now and uh, pretty excited about bringing it to the masses. And when you talk about being excited, what are some of the most exciting returns you've seen? We've seen quite a variety of returns. Uh, you know, we, we measure an ROI because mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of growers, that's, that's what makes you know, keeps them going. That's so, why they're there. You know, you know, 10 to 1 RRI, 16 to 1 RRI. So it's pretty significant. Uh, and like I said, there's added benefits besides your marketable yield. Uh, like I said, we've seen improvements in quality, which again puts money into the farmer's pocket. Uh, we've also seen improvements in water holding capacity because we've those microbes are able to improve that soil structure. Uh, you know, you take your sandy soils in Arizona, we've actually seen where you can actually see some structure in that soil versus having it just look like fine sand. So um, just a lot of extra benefits in addition to what makes the farmer money, which is uh, 
his ROI and what he can sell that pro- uh, that crop for and how much he can sell. What is the most exciting part of this job for you? Uh, for me, it's the exciting thing is we are bringing something new to the market, something that's different than anything else they've seen. Uh, the product itself is a kind of a well-balanced diet for the microbe. So what you get is, uh, so a good example is uh, there are some products in the market that try to help with increasing um, some of the microbes in the soil, but say for example, molasses is a product that some people use. Uh, well, that's kind of like feeding your kids sugar, you know? It's gonna do certain things for them and get a, get a nice high out of it, but it's probably just gonna be beneficial to one type of microbe in the soil. Where ours is a nice combination of fats or lipids, uh, carbohydrates and proteins. So it's like eating a nice healthy healthy lunch versus just eating a bunch of candy. So um, it, like I said, it's all the extra benefits besides the fact that we're helping with soil health, uh, which you know, we do a lot of things to the soil that probably isn't the best for it. This can help reverse some of that and be part of a program in any crop, any types of soils, uh, any cropping system. And, and how much more important does that become? I know we, uh, talking to a lot of agronomists, there, there's a lot of concern about the, these uh, record high yields and a lot of the nutrients that are being pulled from the soil these days. Well, so this can help uh, those uh, the crops be more efficient with bringing those nutrients into the plant, which in turn, you know, we can utilize those nutrients better. It's better for the crop. It's better for um, everything down the road. So what are some of the common questions that, that uh, you guys are asked? Uh, as one of the questions, uh, you know, is it a live product? It actually is not a live product. Um, we pasteurize it. So we kill um, the algae and then we can bring it again. It ends up being a food source. You can mix it with any type of fertilizer, uh, any type of herbicides. It's very flexible on application. It's flexible on products that it can mix with. So it's just a nice, uh, friendly product to work with. So how can a small amount of this product make a big difference? Well, we've seen it in the results, but, you know, part of its placement. But the big thing is, you know, if you really look at, um, there's some flexibility in the rate. Uh, The nice thing is that you can get more out of that acre of land and improve your soil health at the same time. So, you know, if you can get more out of that acre, you might not have to go buy that extra field or something in order to make, you know, ends meet for you, maybe to justify um, your return on investment. So it might actually help some people um, from that standpoint as well, besides increasing their yields. Julia, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fastline Fast Track. It's a fascinating product and process that you guys have, and I hope you guys will come back at some point to to share an update with us. We would love to. Thank you so much. And if you want to know more about the work being done by Helier, go to their website, helierglobal.com. That's H-E-L-I-A-E global.com. Well, next up on the program, we want to welcome back Terry Burkhart with Allstate's Ag Parts, which not only is the largest supplier of used, new, and remanufactured tractor and combine parts in North America, but also supplies parts for skid steers, planters, drills, hay balers, swathers, construction equipment, and other ag equipment. And Terry, welcome back to Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you, Brent. Good to be here again. Well, as I've been saying for some time, hey, the tax man is coming. Are you ready? And I know that's something that's on your mind this week. What do you got for us? Yeah, um, you know, we still get a lot of questions from our customers about the uh, sales tax and why we charge sales tax, why we don't charge sales tax. And um, even though some of the laws went into place in 2018, um, 
I think it'd be good to review those for people now that we're at the end of the year and, and uh, give them some advice on making sure they can get set up for 2021 so that they aren't paying uh, sales tax. So, um, you know, most farmers know that they don't have to pay sales tax on farming supplies. And that's still true. Um, and most of the products that all state bag parts sells or your local feed store or seeds, those kind of things are all going to be exempt from sales tax. Um, there are some states, um, you know, that will vary rules and laws and uh, some some products will be taxable and some won't. But for the most part, all of your agricultural supply items are going to be tax-free in just about every state. Um, now, where that gets tricky is everybody understands that, but in 2018, the Supreme Court uh, said that they can that the states can charge sales tax for um, items that you're getting shipped into the state. So all states ag parts, for example, is you know we ship a lot. Uh, we have facilities in uh, eight states, but uh, we ship to the rest of the states. And we are now required by law to collect sales tax in every one of those states, even if we don't have a location in that state. Um, so now we're charging some farmer sales tax that never, ever paid sales tax on their farm size supplies before, and they're asking why. Well, that's the law now in those states. Um, but there is a way to keep from paying the sales tax. Um, we just simply need a tax exempt form filled out um, that says that the product you're buying from us is going to be used for agricultural use. Um, it's a one-time thing. You fill it out once, you get it to us, and we'll set your accounts up online or over the phone so that uh, it happens automatically. You just don't get charged that sales tax. And it should be that way for all of your other um, supply vendors. Um, anybody that's selling you something that you're using for the farm, um, they should be able to remove the sales tax from your purchases when you uh, give them the exemption certificate. So, you know, I hope this helps clear up a little bit of the confusion. Um, yes, you're a farmer. No, you shouldn't have to pay sales tax on most of the things you're purchasing. But there are new laws in place over the past couple of years that do require the vendor, like us, um, have some documentation that it's being used for, for agricultural use um, in order to, to remove the sales tax from the purchase. So make sure you go get those tax-exempt forms filled out and submitted to Allstate's Ag Parts ASAP so you don't get charged sales tax. And remember, if you're in the market for parts for agricultural equipment, Allstate's Ag Parts has 15 locations nationwide, including 11 salvage yards, two rebuild facilities, and a 217,000-square-foot flagship location in Lake Mills, Iowa, which includes a centralized distribution center that has every kind of farm equipment replacement part you can think of and now also stocks industrial and construction parts. They have aftermarket 
equipment used in remanufactured parts, all with industry-leading one-year warranty on all parts. Make sure you go to TractorPartsASAP.com. Again, that's TractorPartsASAP.com. Or give them a jingle at 877-530-4430. And Terry, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fastline Fast Track. We hope you have a happy holidays and a uh, productive start to the new year. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, Brent, and all of your listeners. Uh, we hope everybody has a great holiday. Again, that's Terry Burkhart with All States Ag Parts. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our buddy, the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax. Don't forget, you can check out all his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. You have not been good about rotating the tires on your pickup truck. You did not do it at all. Now at 50,000 miles, the four tires are noisy or worn unevenly and are starting to vibrate at highway speeds. You are forced to buy four new tires at a cost of $820 installed. You should have gotten 75,000 miles from the tires if you cared for them. Your laissez-faire attitude costs you 50% less service life from the tires without considering the 230 bushels of corn in value to replace the rubber. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com where steel and soil meet. Ray has a new radio program, Farm Machinery Digest Radio, coming to Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Channel 147 Rural Radio, beginning January 2nd at 11 a.m. Eastern. So we hope you'll go and give that a listen. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we head on over to the musical side of the house where our special guest has had a career that has spanned seven decades. And at age 85, she's put out a new EP that's as country as country gets. And we can't wait for you to hear some of it today. Margie Singleton, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you. It's my pleasure. When you <laughs> say that seven seven decades, sounds like I'm old, don't you? <laughs> no, not at all. That's uh, seven decades of history here, and I can't wait to uh, get into some of that tonight because it's uh, just fascinated me uh, how you have touched so much of country music history uh, in your career here, and uh, excited to talk about all that. But before we get into that, uh, have you been and how have you weathered this whole COVID storm? I've been good. Um, my son, Stephen, who you will meet a little bit later, he he's in the business also, but in the production part and, and producing and, and uh, recording. And he he had retired. Actually, I'm old and he's he's older than I am. <laughs> I told him, I said, you're going to be older than I am if you keep on. But anyway, no, he's not. He's, he's uh, 14 years younger than me. I had him when I was 14. But anyway, um, we he said, Mom, why don't we just put a studio in your house? He came in and he tore my whole house up. I don't have a living room. I don't have a dining room. Everything's gone. <laughs> so, so it's fine. It's wonderful. We built this little studio in here. And during COVID, we hibernated in here. We recorded. We did the new EP, Nevermind. We wrote the songs and uh, recorded them. and put them out. We've just been working on it, producing it and getting it ready to go. And it's been out since I think we put it out the 20th of December. I mean, of November. And uh, uh, it's, it's doing 
quite well, getting a lot of interviews with great guys like you, and I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I tell you what, before we get going tonight, will you share a song with us to kick things off? All right. Uh, I'll, I'll try to do it. I'm no guitar player, at, actually, but I can get by with it a little bit. Um, I wrote this song back in 1962, and uh, a fellow by the name of Brooke Benton was one of my favorite blues singers. And he recorded it, and he became my co-writer on it because he just sang it so well. And I've always wanted to record it. And I finally got the, the uh, opportunity to do it, and it's called Lie to Me. I know I'm losing you. I feel it all the time. And I know if I lose you, I'm going to lose my mind. So lie to me, lie to me, make me believe every word you say. Baby, just lie, lie to me, I'd rather have it that way. Nobody told me you've been cheating, it's just a feeling I Oh, but if it's true, babe, you gotta lie to me, and I won't feel so bad. Tell me that you love me, and I'll believe every word you say. Baby, just lie, lie to me. I'd rather have it that way. Now you may think I'm foolish for saying what I said, but the truth could mean I'd lose you. So tell me a little lie instead, baby, lie to me, lie to me, make me believe every word you say, baby, just a lie. Lie to me, I'd rather have it that way. Oh, now you may think I'm foolish for saying what I said. Oh, but the truth could mean I'd lose you. So tell me a little lie instead, baby, just lie to me. Lie to me, make me believe every word you say. Baby, just lie, lie to me. I'd rather have it that way. Go on, lie, lie to me. I'd rather have it that way. Lie to me. All right. I love it. And when a song sounds just as good today as it did the day it was written, you know, that's a timeless song. And that is a that's a great piece of work right there. Thank you so much. Just quite simple. Simple sometimes is good. Sometimes you can get a little bit too 
too wordy. Well, I tell you, everything about how you got to where you are today fascinates me because by and large, it seems like you're a star in your own right, but often stayed behind the scenes and worked with so many other artists, but still had a hand in so many timeless songs and worked with so many legendary artists. So take me back to your days as a teenager growing up around the iconic hayride there on KWHK radio there in Shreveport, which helped launch so many careers, Hank Williams and Elvis and Webb Pierce and Farron Young and so many others. What do you recall about going to those early hayride shows and then later on getting to perform on them? Well, this was my dream. Uh, I lived, well, I'll be playing my, my new uh, single and EP. The title of the EP is Nevermind. And it's autobiographical. It's it's about my life beginning in a little place called Cachetta, Louisiana, about uh, about 50 or 60 miles south of Shreveport. And I moved to Shreveport, my family did, when I was 11 years old. And uh, we, uh, the boy across the street I met. <laughs> When I moved there, and then when I was 13 years old, we got married. He was 17, and I was four, 13. Uh, Shelby Singleton, the father of my two sons. And uh, we would go to the hayride, and well, before that, I, I, I bought my little uh, guitar, little baby Martin guitar, like, uh, oh, uh, anyway, anyway, it was just a baby triple O 18 guitar, and I started writing and singing and we'd go to the hayride and um, uh, a guy by the name of Benny Barnes had a song called Poor Man's Riches. And I loved that song and, and loved his singing and he was looking for material and so I just happened to have some. <laughs> and so I met him at the hayride and he was going to uh, to Houston to record with Pappy Daly, with Star Day and D Records. And uh, he asked, Shelby and I did we want to go and that, well, of course we did and so I met Pappy Daly that night and uh, Benny recorded my song called Mine All Mine and uh, he got Pappy to audition me that night and I did my first session on that trip and it was I thought Lord I made it for sure. <laughs> didn't get on the hayride right then it was a little bit later that uh, uh, Tillman Franks became manager, and, and he he knew I had always wanted to be. He was a, a known him forever. He was Johnny Horton's manager, and uh, so when I became a member of the Hayride, it, it's called the Cradle of the Stars. Sure, as you mentioned, uh, Hank Williams, uh, Kitty Wells, and Johnny Wright, uh, Merle Kilgore. Just I think everybody that that finally came to Nashville to the Grand Ole Opry at that time had been on the Louisiana Hayride Fair and Young, which uh, you might know, you may not know. I had a hit record with Fair and uh, called Keeping Up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. And uh, so while on the Hayride, I used to travel to, uh, to Springfield, Missouri to a show, uh, Red Foley show, uh, Jubilee USA, it was called, and it was the first televised country music show. It was on the ABC network. And I would go uh, periodically there and, and guest star on that. And we finally moved to Nashville, and uh, I recorded with uh, 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 George Jones. 
but before we did, there's a, speaking of the Hayride, um, Bear family. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bear family. Out of Germany. You'll have to hold it. It's too heavy. Oh, this is an incredible uh, box, set. box set that Bear family has put out. It's got 120 hours of live shows on the Louisiana Hayride. And I happen to have 10 songs on there, which I'm very proud of live shows. And I'm, I'm tickled to death to have. And so we moved to, to, uh, to Nashville, and I recorded. Uh, do you have that uh, George Jones uh, box this, set? This uh, and and this is another uh, guy. Did you ever hear of Johnny Holiday? Uh huh. He, he was a European Elvis Presley. He was as hot as Elvis was in the states. And I had the title song on on. Uh, um, Steve, would you come take this guitar? <laughs> My son's got to help me here. Uh, uh, Johnny Holiday, Bear Family put this this uh, great. It, it's it's uh, acrylic. It's it's double set album with Johnny Holiday, and it's called "Shake the Hand of a Fool." And I wrote that song. And uh, they let me do the, the liner notes on it, which I was thrilled to death. And here's Johnny Holiday at the age of 19 when he came to America to record with our dog, Baby, in, in, in this very house. I don't move much. I stay in one place. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you bring that up because I saw somewhere where you were asked if you could live anywhere else in the world, where would it be? And you said, uh, just right there in Hendersonville, Tennessee. What is it about that house and that city and that that, that part that, that it's just home for you? You know, Brent, I, I traveled so much in my career. Um, I, I, after my uh, former husband, Shelby Singleton, and I divorced, uh, I married Leon Ashley. And he was a radio guy. He, he, he was the owner of seven radio stations, the maximum that you could have at that time. And I don't know, it might still be. But he, he wanted to, it, he asked me to marry him. And he said, do you want to stay in the music business? You want to go in the radio business? And so, I, I mean, I've had a fire in me for music, songs, singing, and writing since, I guess, birth. I don't know. I always had it. And so we chose to do that, and we formed a, 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 a record label, Ashley Records. We, we uh, formed a booking agency, uh, Country Music Spectacular, and we got a lady to, to go into business with us called Linda Denny. She was the daughter of the founders of Music Row, just about. Her father was uh, Jim Denny, who owned Cedarwood Music. First of all, he was the manager of the Brandon Opry. And then he went on to form his own music company, which was one of the largest in the world, I think. And so Leon and I, we we just went on the road. Linda booked us every, I mean, she kept us booked for 40-something years. And my husband died in 2013. He, he got cancer, oral cancer. Uh, by the way, don't put tobacco in your mouth, boys and girls. Don't hold it on your mouth. He got it on his tongue from holding a cigar on his mouth. And so he had that. And uh, 
he got it in 2006. Well, we both stopped. That was it. And I was never going to sing again. I, I, you know, I didn't have my partner. And my son and, and a lot of people insisted that I do because they knew the fire in me and they knew I could never be happy otherwise. So I was on the road so long. It took me a long time to get here to answer your question, but I had to set it up. Uh, I, I wanted to get home so bad. I just, I loved the audiences, I love the applause, I love to go on the road, but I, my best place is home. I've been everywhere. I've been to to uh, Europe and back home. I wanted to go. And every time I'd hit that bluegrass drive, honey, I was happy for till we left again. I'm happy here. I, I I never want to go anywhere else. I don't I don't want to go on vacation. <laughs> When my vacation is right here. Well, now you got that fancy studio set up. You never need to leave the house again. I told Dave a while ago, I said, you know, I go up and I get dressed and all fixed up to go out and don't go nowhere but my living room. <laughs> you and I are doing the same thing these days. That's just the way it is. This is a, this is the little, I have the, the big, uh, album of george jones and me i was the first woman to do a full album with george and i have i don't know exactly where it is right at the moment but i have uh, the big box set that bear family put out on george's called the the making of a star i think it was and it's all his tunes all with it was on Starday Records before he left Starday. And I did the album with him and I did, uh, I thought 12 sides, but when Bear Family came out with the, their box set, there was 14. And I thought, well, I didn't, I didn't remember doing but 12. It's how your mind can work with you. But I was uh, my, my uh, fellow musician who, who, uh, fronted mine and Leon shows for about 20 years, a guy named Lonnie Spiker. Yeah. He and I had gone on uh, a show one night when we were driving home, and here was this playing Margie and Lee, Margie and George was playing a song called One by One. And <laughs> Lonnie said, Miss Margie, I didn't know you recorded that. I said, I didn't. <laughs> he said, Well, that's you and George. And I said, No, it's not. It just sounds like me. So sure enough, when it ended, it was Margie and George and I, I crowed there. But actually, they had had two songs in what you call the can, not released all those years. And Bear Family got them and put them in that, that box set one by one. And one excuse is good as another. And it, it was a surprise to me to hear it. It was like something new. <laughs> Well, anybody who's a fan of true traditional country music, uh, go look up uh, the the uh, works of of the Bear family because they've done just a great job preserving a lot of that history and have gone back and and gotten the rights to re-release a lot of that stuff. And it, it's incredible what they've preserved over the last decade or so. I have a I have a little. It's a I think it has thirty songs on it. Uh, uh, that Bear family put out on me. Uh, of the, my earlier days with Mercury, uh, they, it's it's a very good called pledging my love. 
um, jukebox pearls pledging my love is the name of it and it's on my website you can order it and also my new ep uh, if anyone people have tr been trying to find out how to get it the new ep uh never mind it's also on uh, on my website margiesingletonmusic.com but before we go any further, let's hear one from the new EP. This is Who's Gonna Love You, Too Late for Sorry on Fast Line Fast Track. I tell you, I love your diverse list of musical in influences. You know, Hank Williams, Wynn Stewart, Etta James, Gladys Knight, Mavis Staples, and Patsy Cline. You got people on there who can moan the blues, and then you got people who can just flat out belt it out. And it seems like that is such a uh, uh, a driving force for you, just that, that bluesy R and B soulful influence. Yeah, it it talks. Uh, if you hear a little voice in the background, do you hear? Yeah. This stupid watch is supposed to be a smart watch, and she's not. I didn't ask her to tell me what time it was, but anyway, <laughs> I guess I'm gonna have to take it off and throw it away. But I don't. But yes, a uh, uh, blues has been a great influence in my life, and I used to listen to John Richburg, John R. on WLAC in Nashville, Tennessee, when I was young, and uh, of course K uh, WSM. Uh, there for the country. I was fed all that all my life. Uh, had a 
and the, the South Louisiana blues and and the country. I just love it all. I just love all every genre of music, and I would I would like to have a an album with with part country, part blues, part gospel, part uh, just three or four songs of each genre. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? And before we go any further, let's hear that autobiographical song from Margie Singleton. This is Nevermind on Fast Line Fast Track. I was born in Cushada, Louisiana in the night. Never mind. With a song in my heart, rhythm in my soul. Looks like you guys are having so much fun with this, getting to uh, spend time together and, uh, it, you know, this phase of life, getting to create together. That's really special. To have my mom alive at this age, I'm 70 years old. 
Okay. My mother's 80. She just turned 85. I'll be turning 71 in March. But to have my mother alive at this age is something very special, right? But to be able to be creative and productive with her daily is it's, 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 a, it's unbelievable. It's so really, thank you, God. And yeah, thank you, thank Brent. You God. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll have you back a little bit later on to play some more here. It's just great stuff. Uh, I I did in 2015 when when I, I came back uh, a little bit back because I just, uh, well, actually, God gave, just pulled me up and he said, you're not dying. I mean, this was my thought in my head. I didn't want to sing anymore because I'd lost my my partner, you know, in life and music. And I, I just thought I could never get on another stage. And God gave me these songs to write. And I wrote a, a, a it's called On the Other Side of Life. And I did put that out in 2016. And it, it's got some real good songs on that gospel things. The, the Lord has been very good to me. Steve said, thank you, God. And I do for, for being... I mean, a lot of people live to this age, but a lot of people don't have the ability to uh, be as viable as, as he's allowed me to be. And I'm so grateful to have the music because I, I lost it for those years when Leon was sick. And, and I think God just blessed me by letting me have it back. And we, I've got a, I've got a, about 11 songs already recorded of old time gospel songs nice. with the piano with Tim Atwood. He and I did. Oh, there you go. Yeah. You know, Tim. Oh yeah. He's been on the show before. Isn't he incredible? Oh, he's one of my favorites. Tim and Roxanne. Are just I love him too much. But anyway, he came over one day, well, about a week. He came two or three days and we, did these old gospel things and we're going to be releasing those. We've got so many, so many things planned. I'd tell you one of the things that I was curious about, you know, you, you talked about it earlier, you know, you were forced to grow up in an early age, getting married at 13, having your son uh, when you're 14, having another son at 19, all of this before you even had a chance to, uh, to sing there on the hayride when you're around 21. What was it like being an artist and a mother and a wife and, and trying to balance all that stuff, especially at a time when that, that really wasn't commonplace. No, it wasn't. Um, uh, somehow you do it. And even during that time, Brent Shelby and I worked at the Louisiana ordinance plant. And my first show that I did was with Johnny Horton. Uh, he, Tillman Franks, you know, managed uh, Johnny Horton, and you you know Johnny of Johnny, don't you? Oh yeah, for Out sure. New Orleans and and oh, he was north to Alaska, a bunch of great hits. Wonderful, and and just just uh, killed in his prime. Of, he was really younger than I even thought he was. The other day, I was looking at something. I think he was in his thirties. So you had talked earlier about uh, d doing the work with, with George Jones. What do you remember about uh, first meeting him and then getting to work with him? What was he like to work with? Uh, well, on the hayride, you know, we would be together on there. And 
when we came to Nashville uh, to, and I, we, I recorded with him, as I've said before, George wasn't the the icon, the, the huge, huge star that he became. He just, I'm so proud of him. He was, he was humble. He was, he was very humble at our sessions. He, he just was, he was very focused and, and uh, we always had fun in the studio, but very focused. Uh -huh. He, uh, just, uh, I adored him. Just a good guy. I never worked any road shows with him. And it's amazing that I don't even have a picture of George and I. Uh -huh. on, on one of the album covers, there's two separate pictures of us on it, but we're not together. And I really hate that. Now, at those times, were you actually in the studio together recording? On one mic. Mm -hmm. You were cutting on two track tape. And, and uh, we were on a mic. The singers were on a mic. The musicians were on a mic. So I tell you, you know, uh, we talk about your career here. You know, if you got writing credits for from everyone, from Tammy Wynette to Jerry Lee Lewis to Marty Robbins to Johnny Tillotson, as we talked about, Bobby Vinton, I could go on and on. You've had nine top forty hits and written uh, five top tens for others. When it's all said and done, how does Margie Singleton wish to be remembered? Well, I think to be remembered is someone who always could be depended on always uh, was a friend. I, I really don't. I want to be remembered as, as a loving the Lord, a, a Christian woman that, that uh, tries her best to, to live right and to do right. And um, the fame and fortune uh, of a star. I, I, I love my fans. I love the people that love my music i really do they're they're my music family i have a i i don't uh mind giving a, a fan my phone number if they you know i have a lot of them that call me on my phone well i tell you one thing i was curious about was uh you know you started out the uh the night here with the brooke benton song you know and in, in early in the 1960s you know, African-Americans were prohibited from uh, being in hotels there in downtown Nashville. So when Mercury's R&B stars came into town to record, uh, you, you opened your home and that led to some pretty epic writing sessions there uh, that, that yielded some of those songs with Brooke Benton and uh, also a collaboration with Ray Stevens in there. What do you remember from those writing sessions? You know, as I, I don't know if I said earlier, I haven't moved out of this house since I moved here. And and we have music room downstairs and uh, that that was so many songs have been written down there so so many artists have been out here uh and when brooke was here i remember sitting on the couch singing this song to him and and he loved it and he did two or three of my songs i wrote one with ray stevens true confessions mm -hmm. i don't know if you probably never heard of it but there was a magazine back in the day and, and and people would write in their true confessions, you know, their whatever they did. And, and that's where that came from. And, and then uh, I got what I wanted, but I lost everything I had. Brooke recorded that song of mine, too. I don't know if Jerry Kennedy, he wrote a lot of things with me. I'm not sure that uh, who, who 
I might have written that by myself. But you and Ray Stevens wrote True Confessions. Ray Stevens and I wrote True Confessions. Ray uh, had an awesome place here. You, I know you've heard of it. The sure. Mm -hmm. uh, it it's incredible. Just, I'm so proud of him. One thing that you, you got to clear up for me here, because I, I've looked at it uh, a, a lot of different ways here and seen a lot of different recorded histories of it. You probably get asked this all the time, probably sick of being asked about it all the time, but the chronology of Harper Valley PTA. Well, uh, I had the Ode to Billy Joe. I recorded that as a country record. Bobby Gentry had had a big big record on that and so we decided to do it country because it wasn't being played on the country station so it it was a pretty big record for me it got in the top 40 and it was doing well and and leon and i had a european tour that we went on it and we were going to release harper valley when we got back and we heard jimmy c riley's version of it coming from the airport and so uh, somehow, actually, my uh, former husband, Shelby, was on Plantation Records. He had gotten it and, and recorded it with Jeannie. And uh, 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 I think, I, I don't know how, how it happened, but anyway, uh, she, she recently sent me a, a message. Well, we're friends on Facebook. She's she thanked me for uh, uh, for doing the demo for her million seller, <laughs> and I said you're welcome. <laughs> but it, it 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 hit me for a while, but it's okay. God didn't want me there. He, yeah. he's allowed me to do what he wanted me to do, and I'm so happy for Jeannie and 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 I think uh, Tom T. His home, he calls he calls it the the, the house that Jeannie built. <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 how that happened, and those things happen, you know. And Leon flew to to Nash to to New York the next day and sold a hundred thousand copies of a of a Harper Valley PTA album of Margie, and and just uh, okay. So it, it was just fine, and we didn't have the songs for it. Actually, we had our fellow PTA. We went in the studio and we wrote songs and put them in there. And and I, we called uh, uh, Marty Robbins. He had the uh, had the, you gave me a mountain, and we asked him could we write a a girl version. I had to change the second verse of it. Uh -huh. so I wrote a second verse. The Lord, you gave me a mountain. And we dated on that session and and uh, just wrote songs as we recorded them and got the album out. So at least I got that, you know, got the the, the sales on that, on that album. But you ever step back and, and think of just how amazing it is that you were able to have those experiences in that time frame that you did because so much historic, iconic country music was cut during those years. Oh, yeah. We were in the studio for, we were in the studio three and four sessions a day. Hmm. Brought, uh, actually, Shelby brought in uh, Fats Domino. That's what 
<laughs> he did. He brought brought fast domino RCA, and he, he cut took him in RCA Studio B. And he, he hey, uh, Brent, here's a story, and I've got to step in. Man. Well, Martha's gonna kill you. <laughs> My father well, was cutting fast there. domino in Studio B. Get down at that like, time. RCA, where Elvis cut all of his hits and stuff. But Fats' sax player, who I can't remember his name right now, I but he, he's famous. That. He is a famous sax player. He wasn't playing great that night. Fats took his big old diamond stick pin off of his shirt. He didn't have a tie on. He just had it on his shirt <laughs> and stuck it on. I can't remember his name. I can't remember. That's okay. He says, well, this is wild, but it make it play better. And he put it on. He just blew his mind. He just played great that night. So what's uh, 2021 and beyond holding for you guys here? We're going to keep on cooking. I'm going to keep mom alive. I told her I wanted her to drop on stage <laughs> or in the studio or something. She's going to keep recording and writing yeah. and pushing me. Well, he pushes me. That. He pushes me and I push him. Well, I tell you what, I don't want to hold you guys up here, but I sure do appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight here. And we'd love to have you back in the future to carry on the conversation and uh, and get some more music. Uh, before we go tonight, do you want to play one more for us? Today I passed you on the street. That's her. And my heart at your feet. I can't help it if I'm still in love with you another love walked by your side she looks so satisfied i can't help it if i'm still in love with you a picture from the past came slowly stealing as I brushed your arm and walked so close to you. Then suddenly I got that old time feeling. I can't help it if I'm still in love with you. Uh, I've always loved that song. That's a great one. That's a great way to close it out. I guess I just fell in love with you. You're one of my boys now. One of my one of my music family. Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad to to be among that uh, that group, and that, that's awful special to me. Tell you what, if folks want to follow your career, uh, follow you online, make sure they go to margiesingletonmusic.com. Also on Facebook, Margie Singleton Music. Go find out everything she's got going on there. Find out where you can get some of those uh, Bear Family treasures and get the new EP. And that is a special project there. I had a chance to listen to it uh, this week, and it is, uh, it's going to blow your mind here. So make sure you go get that. And Margie, again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us tonight. Thanks, Brian. It's been a pleasure. I always get a little bit nervous. Uh, not really, but you know, uh, when you get older, you worry about how you're gonna look and all. And, but I, I'm old, y'all. 
you do great. And I tell you what, it's a, it's a blessing to get to have you on here tonight to talk about this. And Steve, thank you so much for the time tonight. We really appreciate you joining us. Brent, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to be on here with her. Well, thank you so much for listening this week. And I want to let you know about a live stream that we've got on Tuesday, December the 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern, when my guest will be country music singer-songwriter Way Jennings, the grandson of the great Waylon Jennings. Way was the first musical guest we had on Fast Line Fast Track on episode one. And we catch up with him now to find out what he's been doing over the past two years. He's going to share some music and uh, just get us up to speed. So I hope you join us for that. And then on December 22nd, we're going to have a Christmas special on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel with some of our favorite artists, including Exile, John Barry, American Blonde, Scott Southworth, Paige King Johnson, J.D. Shelburne, and more. So I hope you'll join us for that. And don't forget to go check out our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you go and check them out. they got a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. They're open Wednesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., Fridays and Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. They're closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. So when they're open, stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fast Line Fast Track. I also want to say a special shout out to our friends at Farm Life and thank them for their support of Fast Line Fast Track. Please go over and give them a like on their Facebook page so you can connect with others interested in agriculture and join me over on their page every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern as I join my buddy Brandon Deal to talk about the things that are on farmers' minds. And speaking of things on farmers' minds, the tax man is coming. Do you have equipment to buy? Now's the time to get in those Section 179 purchases before the end of the year. So head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. That's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is being delivered directly to your mailbox, and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And don't forget to subscribe to the FastLine Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio. Radio.com. And be sure to hit us up on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Also, I have a special favor to ask of you. We're looking for feedback that will help shape the direction of Fast Line Fast Track in the future. Would you please head on over to the Fast Line Fast Track Facebook page? We're going to be running a survey through Wednesday, December 16th, and we would love your input. Five participants will be selected at random to win a $20 Amazon gift card, and we'd love to hear from you. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adam say y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.